Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Thundercast. Jason and I sat down with our friend Michael to discuss all things Guns N' Roses. We're about to get into that. First, I want to remind you, check us out online at www.thethunderunderground.com. You can also find us on Instagram at The Thunder Underground. You can find us on Facebook backslash The Thunder Underground. You can find us on Twitter at THNDRUNDRground. And of course, listen to these podcasts on SoundCloud. It's Thunder Underground. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy it. joined by our good friend Michael Thrasher. How hey, you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Pretty good. Jason? Hey, what's up? Not much. We're here to talk about Guns N' Roses. That's right. And we've known Mike since we were kids, like second grade, is that right, or first oh, grade? before that. Kindergarten. Kindergarten. Kin- kindergarten? You for kindergarten, you okay. before we even started public school. Jason, before we started public school. Really? Yeah. I thought it was like first grade, because we both had Miss Lund's class. Barry Clark. Oh. Okay. All right. Your memory's better than mine. No, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> well, oh, go ahead. the point of letting you know that is that we grew up together. All grew up, you know, music fans, sports fans, all around the same time, mid mid to late 80s. And through that process, me and Mike here both became big Guns N' Roses fans, as did Jason, but Guns N' Roses was our favorite band. Well, you, you know, each of us. You really had a choice, Guns N' Roses or Metallica. Right. At that time. Yeah. We went Guns N' Roses. Jason went the other way. I exactly. was the dark side. <laughs> you, guys, you guys chose the right path, I guess. Oh. Jason didn't get into Metallica until he heard Nothing Else Matters on the radio. Oh, my God. I'm going to kill you. When this is over, I will kill you. <laughs> okay, so first, I'll ask you, Jason, What's the? when did you get into Guns N' Roses? Do you remember? Or? Um, I remember... <clears throat> I specifically remember I won when I was like a kid in K107. You remember that? Right. Remember that station way yeah, back yes. in the day? They, they played rock music. I yeah, yeah. They Which is now some like shitty pop station. <clears throat> they played, uh, they did a thing each night where you won like the top 10 at 10 and every 45 single in that top ten, you won if you were like the seventh caller at the oh, end. Oh, really? Yeah. <clears throat> Sweet Child of Mine was number one, and I won that whole thing. So that was like my first, that 45 of Sweet Child of Mine was my first exposure. And <clears throat> like it, it was still under the radar for me, though, because I was so young. But a couple years later, uh, maybe a year, I don't know, uh, You Could Be Mine came out on the Terminator soundtrack. I think I think that was out before it was on Usually. That is too. correct. Thank right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And that was the song that really got me into him, and you know, uh, that because that was just that was just a badass song. So that that's where it really started for me. Cool. What about you? Do you remember? Uh, I can't really pinpoint an exact point where it started. I think it was this band that was coming out about the time I was starting to really get into music, and they were pissing everybody off. Uh, my parents in the church being the primary people that were the most upset. So naturally I was intrigued. <laughs> so, um, at that point I kind of started to check them out. And, um, of course got appetite for destruction at one point or another, like everybody else did around that time. And that was like in Wayne's world, you were issued that back then. It was, right? it was you part- were like issued it. That's right. Everybody, you were issued that and there was no other way around it. And I kind I just got hooked and it was just, it came around it was more just timing for me. I mean, if you're going to look at it as whether it was Guns N' Roses or Metallica, Metallica had been around, but this was the new thing. And it was something that at the time for somebody at that age, it seemed like new and rebellious. So right. what was there not to like? Right. Yeah, I think for me, I was, as you both remember, Poison was my favorite band. I had you Poison posters all around. I, I remember a story about um, you used to get on Jace's nerves saying that C.C. DeVille was a better guitar player than Jimmy Page. Yes. Are you ready to recant that statement? I say? do recant that. I never truly believed that, but I knew how much it pissed him off. I, I also did. told Lonnie Walters that I David Coverdale was better than Robert Plant. I you, think you, know, you did believe I it. might have whenever I was 14. I don't know. But I, I, I knew it pissed you off, so that's 
I was hoping you'd keep it going. I just wanted to I, see what would happen. I don't know that I could. I don't have points to validate that, you know. You don't Other than it. he has cooler hair, you know. Right? Remember when he was on MTV Music Awards? The pink hair. Yeah, the pink hair. That was, <laughs> that was it for you, huh? That was it. That's where <laughs> I realized he was the best guitarist of an era. But anyway, no. Being a huge Poison fan, I didn't, you know. I loved all the glam rock. And Guns N' Roses, of course, wasn't really glam, but they fit right into that. And I remember I had a cousin, like a third cousin or something, that I never met in my life that came to my grandma's house because my great-grandpa had passed away. And so, every, you know, tons of family were there. And she was wearing a Guns N' Roses hat. And I was making fun of her. <laughs> I don't know. I just remember making fun of her because she liked Guns N' Roses. <laughs> and my favorite man's poison, you know. But anyway, she's like, no. Makes total no. sense. She's like, no, come here, jackass. And then, like, set me down and made me listen to Appetite for Destruction. I don't remember what song specifically, just probably Welcome to the Jungle, Paradise City, whatever. And yeah, nice. just kind of from there, and then probably you and whoever else that was around that was listening to it, and it just kind of picked up steam and went on from there. I think. That sounds about right. So, yeah. I was issued my appetite for destruction from the BMG Music Club on my initial offering of like a bounty of CDs if you buy one at like seven times the normal right. price. Eleven CDs for a penny. Yes. And then yes. you gotta buy six more at nineteen ninety eight plus eight dollars shipping. You gotta love it. <laughs> but you never did. <laughs> Fuck you, Columbia House. Did you order CDs and then send them to another address? Was that you? Or I knew someone that did that. I don't think I don't know I'm <laughs> I wouldn't put it past myself. That was Brandon Booth that okay. did that. Oh, that, yeah. Your buddy. <laughs> we miss you, Brandon. <laughs> well, anyway, after, you know, we all got into him after Appetite was a, you know, a big thing. We can admit that. And then so, not long after that was Lies. And then, of course, the, the Illusions came out in mid, like August of 91. And yeah, I think so. My distinct memory of, that's the air conditioner, <laughs> my distinct memory of Use Your Illusion when it came out was that that was back in the day of uh, everything getting it released at midnight and everybody standing in line and making a you know a big deal mm -hmm. out of it and it was awesome. But we were 14 at the time, so our parents weren't going to let us go out no. on a Monday night at midnight on a school night to buy a Guns N' Roses CD. No. But your brother was old enough to do this and I remember he told you he would buy them and so I'm like ask him if he'll buy one for me and he said yeah give me the money and I only had enough money to buy one of them so I said buy Usual Illusion 2 because I want to be different I want the second one and I like blue better than red I had yeah. to get Usual Illusion 2 because it had Garden of Eden on the first one and back when I was growing up my parents would read every song and look <laughs> at the cover to determine whether I could have the album. They saw Garden of Eden, of course. It has to be something sacrilegious. Right. So I couldn't own that album it until... It would have been a no straight away. Exactly. So I had to wait till I think, Trent got the CD. And then I had to take the lyrics back before the internet. This is how we had to find lyrics. Get the lyrics off the, off the CD and sort of take it to mom and dad for approval. Then I could finally buy Usual Illusion 1 and complete the set. So that's why I had to follow, you know, get Usual Illusion 2 as well. Nice. What about you? Did you get them when they came out, or was no, it a little wise later? No, I I don't remember how I got them. I know that I know that I had Use Your Illusion Two first uh, because I had the tapes, and I I don't know when I got one, and I don't know how I don't know how it happened, but I think because I got Use Your Illusion Two first, for some reason that's that's always my favorite one. Even though one is amazing, you know, and it's just got just as good a songs as two, but for some reason, you know, two is always my fave. Yeah, I'm the same way. I just, if I had to pick one, it's always been two, and I don't know if it's that same reason that it just the first one I got, so it just kind of stuck with me. And I'm a little torn. Yeah. I like second, probably for the same reasons that you, you like it as well, Trent. Um, I, don't, I mean, there's a lot. It's hard to really pick one or the other because there's a lot on the first one I really like and a lot on the second one I really like. So it's more of a what am I in the mood for, I think. So right. I'd have to go toss up. Yeah. Well, I mean, getting the ring is a, is a preteen. Yeah. 
I memorized that whole speech in the middle, yeah, you know. Yeah, he memorized the whole speech. Like sure. how awesome it was. Yeah, and it was, he said all the cuss words, so it was just amazing. Bob Guccione Jr. has been. I have no yeah. idea who you are, but I want you to die. That's yeah. right, that's exactly. right. Exactly, I was 15 years old and I hated him because he pissed off Axel. Fuck exactly. the crane. <laughs> yeah. Fuck him, whoever yeah. he is. Bob Guccione Jr. does not get as much pussy as his dad. We know that much. Yeah, we... <laughs> Maybe that's changed in the years since his dad's probably how old now? <laughs> well, I don't know. That was 23 years ago, so probably 83. Yeah. Know, but. Well, his bank account may help him in that. So. Right. But, but one had amazing songs. Dead Horse, you know, Garden of Eden, you know, as you said. Coma. Yeah, I just... The Garden. Or was that... A, that was on one, yeah. Bad Obsession. God, I love that song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, you could go either way. Both of them were masterpieces, really. Yeah. Well, uh, what did you think about how much it was different than than Appetite? Like, it still sounds like Guns N' Roses because of that voice and the guitars, but like, like, because it's a totally different style of records, you know? It just has this more kind of grandiose than Appetite. Was this that straight, raw, in your face, F you rock and roll? Yeah, for me, I noticed the change. I remember thinking. But I don't know. It didn't really didn't really bother me or register with me that that hard. I think when you're a teenager, it might that stuff doesn't really. Yeah. If you like a band, you're probably gonna like exactly. what they come out with. I liked it, so yes. I was like, whatever. Yeah. And I I just figured this is in the next step. So that was that was how I thought of it. Right. That, that's more or less where I was with it. It was noticeably different, but. It was good. Even some of the slower parts, you're like, you were kind of wondering where are we going with this? What happened to my band that was pissed off? Now we're sounding pleasant. Yeah. But at the, it grew on you if you didn't like it to begin with. So no complaints, especially many years down the line. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there was ever a point that I even really even thought about it back then. You know, it's like obvious now when you listen to them or look at them. But when I was, you know, 14 or 15, it was just, hey, my yeah. favorite band's got new music and it kicks ass. And they still kept the sleaze. Yeah. You know, they had pretty no tied up. And, and, uh, well, the first, you, you could be mine was the first song you heard from that, and that could have easily fit uh, yeah, on it. That's been. like the one song from the two albums. Remember, that, remember. That could easily the, been on Appetite. The line, uh, uh, your bitch slap rapping, your crane, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was in the liner notes That's of true. Appetite for Destruction. That's true. Yeah. Just it's on, under that picture of the, yeah. the band picture. A little Easter egg for you there. Yeah, there you go. Ooh. <laughs> well, what do you think? What's your favorite song off of uh, off of Appetite? Just starting from the beginning. Oh, Appetite. I think it would have to be uh, Rocket Queen. I think that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, Rocket Queen. The and this sounds stupid. The stuff that wasn't singles, I, I enjoy more. Maybe it's just because I've heard all that stuff. Is it just over time, or you think? Yeah. Even yeah. back then, or. But uh, I don't know. Paradise City is amazing. Right. So I don't know. But uh, Rocket Queen, Paradise City, you really can't go wrong. You can't. I don't think you can really pick one. I mean, the whole album from beginning to end is incredible. Right. There's no other. You can't just pick out one thing and say, "Oh, this is the best." You can't. Right. I mean, could you, Jason? Could you pick one out and say, "This is the worst"? No, no, you couldn't. So they, they really, they really captured something on that one, something that I don't think you could ever, anybody could ever, even themselves could ever recreate or capture again. No, it was just uh, timing or whatever it was, uh, but kind of like that saying, you know, if I could bottle that, I'd be a millionaire. Well, they fucking did. Yes. Right. So and they are. Right. And when that hit, it hit. Yeah, Everyone it hit hard. It. it hit hard. Well, the thing that amazes me most about that too was that you know reading in Slash's book where he said that every every single Izzy Stradlin guitar part on that album is a first take like that's not, insane I never yeah, even knew I didn't that. know that yeah he said that he most of them he did four or five takes and you know cause he was you know he wanted to get it right but he wasn't a perfectionist like Axel or, or Slash in that sense cause Slash said he recorded the solos like 20-30 times yeah. or more but he said Izzy did his parts Five, you know, four, five, six times, but every single one of them, when he left the room, they used the first one. <laughs> he said because the first take was the best, and so every everything you hear on there is the first go. You know, at least from him. Did not know that. That is impressive. Yep. 
but I think my my favorite song on that album is Night Train, and uh, great song. It's just that's my favorite hard rock song of all time. But like, kind of like you said, I think the other eleven songs are number two tied. Yeah, because I don't really, you know, Brownstone, Rocket Queen, yeah. you know, Out to Get Me, Paradise City, everything's great. Yeah, exactly. Even you know, like you said, Sweet Child of Mine. I mean, that's just like the perfect mid-tempo rock ballad. Yeah, it was and, the first the first it, Guns N' Roses song I ever right. heard, and it was single or not, overdone or not, it was amazing. I agree. Well, what do you think about? Do we want to talk about Lies? I mean, no. I mean, it's Lies was kind of a filler album. If, yeah, if it I don't like it, I mean, there was. It feels like they just pumped it out to try to make some more money because they were super hot, you know. Exactly. They <laughs> need some. They need some pe- some cushion, I think, between Appetite and then. Use Your Illusion, it seemed like. So they put out Lies, which, I mean, really, there were, what, four acoustic songs on it that were, and one was a remake of something that was on Appetite, if I remember right, right? Yeah, you're crazy. Exactly. So, I mean, three songs new material done acoustically. One of them was a radio <laughs> hit, and then you had stuff recorded before they hit big that sounded like it was in a garage. So, yeah, why would you not put that album out? Right. Well, I, I love the album, but it's like, I don't remember when the last time is I listened to it. Yeah. No. You know, I might, if I'm throwing songs on, I might listen to, you know, One in a Million or Nice Boys or something, but you don't ever think I'm going to listen to Guns N' Roses and throw on Lies, right? Exactly. <laughs> but, okay, so then what about Jumping to Use Illusion 1? You already mentioned Dead Horse. and Dead Horse, probably. Bad Obsession. Right. Uh, Garden of Eden. I don't know. I can't pick one, you know? Same here. Um, I think it's based on whatever mood you're in. I think between both the albums, whatever mood you're in, there's a song to match it. So that's true. That's a good point. That's kind of how I look at that. Yeah. I'm The Garden with Alice Cooper has always been one of my favorites. And then, of course, Dead Horse. That's just like probably the most under underrated, overlooked song yeah. mm-hmm. that they ever did. Besides, not jumping forward to Huge Illusion 2, but Locomotive also falls in that category for me. Definitely. My, I think that's probably yeah. my favorite. I had to pick one on Your Illusion too. As for two, I think my favorite would be Yesterday's. Yeah. I mean, all time. Because I just love the southern kind of feel to that, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. I'm, great song. Great song. I'm a huge fan of Estranged, even though, you know, it was a huge hit. Yeah. It's just, mm-hmm. I can still listen to it over and over. Yeah. Even though it's ten minutes long. Because my, that's my favorite Slash solos. Are those solos at the end? They're like ten or fifteen seconds, but they're just everything's in that fifteen seconds. Mm-hmm. And fourteen years with Izzy singing, I fucking oh, love that. I forgot all about that. God, that's a great song too. Yeah, good lord. Pretty tied up though. That's also my top five or ten songs without Some a cool doubt. Cool ranch dressing, huh? <laughs> right there, you yeah. go. <laughs> but what do you? So what after that? We've got Spaghetti Incident. Yeah, um, that was a great record. I listened the hell out of that record. Yeah. I remember when that came out, like, at that point, we could go buy albums because we had a car, but we were 16, mm-hmm. and uh, we were working at Bill's Discount when that came out, but I remember. <laughs> oh, be- the memories. Because uh-huh. the album came out, and I was, I guess, yeah, I was at school, and then I had to go directly to work after school, so I didn't have time to go get it, so I talked my mom into doing it, and somehow, you know. My mom went and bought a Guns N' Roses album in 1993 and brought it to me at work so I could, you know, listen to it when I left work. (laughs) That's my distinct memory of getting the spaghetti incident. We could do, and this is totally off the subject, but you brought it up, so I have to say, I don't know, we could never do it on this one. Maybe we could. We could do all stories about working at Bill's Discount. (laughs) We'd all be in tears that with laughter. Would, but what's that have to do with hard rock? I know, exactly. Right? I'm just saying. That would be an entirely <laughs> different podcast in, in the end. Anyways, would... Spaghetti Incident, getting back to, they had a <laughs> Down on the Farm. Oh, yeah. Fucking badass. Uh, Attitude. Those are so great. Uh, you know, I, their punk covers, that was all, that was, that was the ones I really liked the best. Yeah, because Duff had that great punk voice. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. He does. Yeah. Uh, Ain't It Fun is another one that, that I love off that. I think it was a With good... Michael Monroe. Well, yeah. I think it was a good album, but at the time, <clears throat> you were kind of like, that's great, but what about the next one? Right. Because it was, you know, cover cover songs 
I think of them then as I do now. It's great, but after, you know, I've heard this before. What what new thing do you have that you can do, especially if you're a, a band of that caliber? Yeah. Which we thought was right around the corner, but, well. <laughs> but they, I don't know if their thinking is we just put out, you know, whatever it was, 28 songs over two albums in 91 so they could get away with pumping out a covers album two years later. Sure, I guess so. But, of course, we did never get those... <laughs> What was coming next, you know? Uh-huh. At least, you know, until way later, and that wasn't the same thing. The end of day soundtrack. <laughs> well, no, actually, we got the you know interview with the vampire soundtrack. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. And that, that's I love that cover, but that is the first. That's the first official song without Slash, which a lot of people don't realize that. Like Slash is credited on it, and he also talks about that in his book. That Axel went in and because he was pissed off at that point and had that Paul. Uh, Paul, what's his Paul name? Paul Hughes. Yeah, Paul Hughes come in and re-record all of Slash's parts. Wow. Just to piss him off, I guess. But he still he still has credit on it for some reason. But huh. huh. Probably a contractual thing. Did not know that. Nor did yeah. I. Well, we're around the same time. Well, a little bit before Spaghetti Incident was the concert we went to. <laughs> I want to ask you guys about yeah. that. I okay. did not go to this concert. This I wanted in to. April of 92. Yes, I wanted to so bad. Could not go. However, at the time, these Guns N' Roses concerts were the stuff of legend. Certainly. They went on late. They, they were epic. All that stuff. Uh, I want you guys to just talk about getting there and the show itself, how long you had to wait, all the shit you went through, getting there and all that stuff. It's a pretty good story. Throw in the whole <laughs> Smashing Pumpkins thing. Just go. Well, well. First off, we were fifteen, so we were fortunate enough that his Mike's older brother Kevin was willing to, <clears throat> excuse me, willing to take us. Yes. So that was a very cool thing. Thank to, you, Kevin, if you're listening to this. And that was way back when you actually had to camp out for tickets, and we did that outside of a video store, which is two things that are relics, I guess, in this day and age. <laughs> right. The, what was it? Showbox which, Video, and that was. Oh, name that's it right. Was? Yeah, I couldn't even remember. Yeah. Yes. So we camped out there and got tickets, and they opened late. I remember everybody was freaking out about yeah. that, and I'm, I was wondering, okay, you have Guns N' Roses fans that are known for like rioting, and you're not going to open on time, but nobody died, nothing up damage, so that was okay. Right. So, and then we started to leave, and well, <laughs> it was the it was me, you, Kevin, and one of his friends, and. You know, we, we all meet over at Mike's parents' house, where Mike lived, obviously. And uh, we take off, and we get about... We're ne- we're almost halfway there, and I'm, like, looking for Because it was in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. Right. We're driving right. from Tulsa. And I'm looking through my... You know, I'm looking for something. Not my ticket, but I'm looking for something. And I'm like, hold it, where's my shit at? <laughs> and I had a bag that I had everything in, and I think Mike said... Did you, didn't you set that on the roof? You know how you set stuff on the roof of your car before you get in the car, and then normally you pick it back up. But so I this didn't. had your ticket, wallet. Yeah. What would all have? I mean, it had everything. Yeah. Wow. It had money, ticket. I don't know if it had like a Walkman or a Discman or something. Whatever it had, whatever I was taking with me in it. And then I think we we got to Midway, and then we called back, and his mom or dad found it in the street. Yeah. And it had, I think the wallet was gone, maybe, right? But I think the, some of it was gone, and then... But yeah. some of it was there, but it didn't matter. We couldn't turn around and come back. And I just remember we were at that McDonald's at Midway. It's like, what are we going to do? You know, just like, I'm like, well, we're still going to go, and I'll stand outside, and it's going to suck. <laughs> some dude, I think, in the process overheard us talking and walked up and said, hey, I've got extra ticket if you need to buy it. And he was willing to sell it for face value. So either Kevin or his friend... Spotted me the money, thank God. I bought the ticket, and then I just paid him back when we got back home. How much was the ticket back then? It was like twenty five bucks or something. Oh my it, God. it wasn't Which, much. Yeah, I think because I've, I've got the ticket yeah. still, and I think I remember seeing it a while back, and it said twenty five dollars plus service fees or whatever. Insane. Which service fees was two dollars or yeah dollar fifty. Right. <clears throat> so luckily, I don't remember if the thing. I assume it was sold out. Because, I mean, I remember it was packed I, It was packed. If it wasn't so sold the out, guy, it was very nearly sold out. So the guy didn't have to sell it to us for, you know. True. So we, you know, since we had paid for the ticket, I was still able to sit next to him. 
And yeah. I remember us joking like, hey, what if that guy shows up that stole my ticket, you know? I'm like, I don't think someone found it in the road because it wasn't in the bag. It was yeah. one of the things that was missing, but no one did show up. <laughs> <laughs> and funnily enough, you could have, they went on so goddamn late, you could have went back and got the ticket and went back <laughs> and probably still would have been early for the show. No doubt. <laughs> That's true. It started what around midnight, like maybe after I it, midnight. I think it was almost midnight. It was like eleven something, like eleven forty-five. It was so. Did very late. did Smashing Pumpkins? They opened. Did they go on on time? If I recall, yeah. they went on on time. And there's just a huge gap in between. Right. The yes. bullshit Smashing funny, Pumpkins and Guns N' Roses. A funny side note was that the ticket. You know, every ticket you look at says doors, whatever doors eight, show nine. Everything just says that, but that Guns N' Roses ticket said show around 9.30. Like, they printed the word around <laughs> on the ticket. I remember that. <laughs> just to let people know that it might not start at 9.30. <laughs> and it didn't. Right. Well, Smashing Pumpkins started, and here's another side note. This was before anyone really knew who they were, you know, at least on a grand scale. They weren't even, like, Cherub Rock or any of that stuff wasn't even no, on We a... didn't know by even, it was Smashing Who. That's Yeah, it was literally saying. the first time you ever heard of them was when they announced that they were opening at least on for us mm-hmm. and they came out and were playing and you know it was a different style of music so within two or three songs the crowd's just booing because they didn't care and everybody's there to see guns and roses exactly and they don't know who this band is and the crowd kept booing and he made a couple comments and i think it was four songs then when he says i don't remember exactly because this is 23 years ago but he said hey i, I wrote a new song just for you guys and then he just starts playing some rip, and he's like, fuck you, Oklahoma, fuck you, you suck, or something like that. Oh, he, he egged on the crowd. Um, yeah. Didn't he say something like, so this is where they put all the Indians? Or yeah. He said something of that nature, and then he said something along the lines of, we dedicate this next song to Satan, or something crazy, <laughs> right. which is something you just don't say in, a, in the Bible Belt, unless you're really, you, you really want that response. And, even Even at a hard rock show, you don't say you know, in the Bible Belt. No. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, they they walked up after he played that little, you know, F.U. song. They walked off the stage and everybody cheered when they walked off. <laughs> I'd cheer. I'd cheer. Yeah. When about a year later, they were effing huge and whatever. So Forgiven. I didn't, yeah, it didn't affect them. But So then, yeah, then we set for at least two and a half, two and a half hours. But... You know, the cameraman there knew, like we had talked about before, knew that this was a good, you know, likelihood. So they they got their cameras flying around on the, you know, the big screens and zooming around and finding chicks that are willing to pull their shirts up, mm-hmm. which was a huge, you know, thing in the 80s and early 90s. And when you're 15, you're like, this is the greatest so night of my life. So you guys were on cloud nine. Right. Yeah, seeing a show at a show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So even though it was late, it wasn't like, you know, we were getting irate and wanting to start a riot or something like other cities had. We were just like, hey, we're cool. We're going to see Guns N' Roses and there's there's some boobs and there's some more boobs. Well, we thought we were going to see Guns N' Roses. Around 1130, we were starting to really question if we were going to see Guns N' Roses That's true, or not. yeah. <laughs> so. so no one really knows what the issue was that night because, you know, three-fourths of the shows on that tour happened like that where they ran, came on two hours late. But anyway, they came on, they played for two and a half hours more. Like we got out there like two in the morning, I think, or two thirty. Mm-hmm. And it's still, you know, it's still probably my favorite show I've ever been to. Like I've been to shows that are probably better, but just that experience, you know, at that age, seeing my favorite band and, you know, being that period of their history when they were at their biggest. Uh, definitely a moment to see for sure. Yeah. No doubt. And, even for me, it's you're going there for the vibe. I mean, there's all lots of shows you'll go for a vibe, but you, Guns N' Roses was in the news and rioting <laughs> from right. every other stop, so you didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> right. You could see a band, yeah. you could tear down the Marriott. You don't know. Right. <laughs> so it was exciting all the way around. It was the most exciting delay I've ever been a part of. Really? So, yeah. <laughs> no doubt. And then, another side note, this guy woke me up. During November rain. That's right. <laughs> he fell asleep. I forgot about it. I forgot you told me that. Uh-huh. We were setting, you know, you we son were... son of a bitch. We had seats. We had pretty good seats. You know, we were like two, two or three sections off of the stage on the side. Yeah. You know, maybe halfway up. 
and you know we're just sitting there in the chairs you know and he has he always had that long piano solo intro and then it goes into november rain and it wasn't you know boring to me but it was you know 1 30 in the morning <laughs> so i was just sitting there and next thing i know i'm like i went to sleep yeah you were <laughs> but i mean outside of that i mean i can't i remember thinking it was weird they didn't play welcome to the jungle i, I still remember that wow and they didn't play don't cry which was weird because that was the at that april of 92 that was their their biggest radio song at the moment yeah so i thought that was weird that they didn't play that what they close with it's paradise, paradise city. city i think that's what they always closed with back then okay but they opened with uh it's so easy Oh, and then cool. went in the night train, I think. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they just got filled in with yeah, everything else from there. Yeah. But but, the, but even though they didn't play those songs, it wasn't like you left going, well, I feel jibbed. Oh, right. It was right. a great show. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I just noted that because Welcome to the Jungle is like the song that most people think of instantly. Mm -hmm. Yes. And most of the, and a lot of the shows back then, they did play it. You know, it was usually like the second show in their set Yeah. after mm -hmm. It's So Easy or Night Train, whatever they opened with. But the other cool thing about that OKC show is that that's one of the most widely circulated bootlegs there is of Guns N' Roses during that time. And I've uh, heard that. And we had the we bought the videos at uh, one of those record conventions. Yes, I think me and you split the costs yeah. on them, and then my brother was supposed to make copies of them. Yeah. And Kevin's yet to come through on those VHS copies. We he said he's going to make for us. <laughs> I don't know. Do we even know where the videos are at at this point? I think I do think I have them in a okay. box of videos. Okay. <laughs> but Post out the VCR. There you the, go. The good thing is most the the thing is on YouTube. Oh yeah. Yeah, because it's a good quality. You know, for the reason it's one of the most widely circulated bootlegs was that it was a a pro shot deal. It mm -hmm. wasn't some dude with a camera in the back, and it. You know, so it was you know especially when you're, when we found it when we were like sixteen, you know it just blew my mind that I could buy a video. Of this show that I saw. Oh, no. You know, because you always saw bootlegs, but it was, you know, like Des Moines, Iowa, yeah. or Miami, Florida, or something that you're never going to be at. So, and, and now you can yeah. just look at it on YouTube. It's no big deal. Yeah. And I think mm -hmm. we, you know, who knows what we paid? It was probably 30 or 40 bucks. I think for, it was. For a double VHS thing. And, you know, we split the cost and then just like shared it or probably watched it at each other's houses. And <laughs> we need to, and kept we need to find a VCR and watch that shit. Right. We could probably find one on, yep. on I Craigslist. have a VCR. Oh, there, well, you, there go. you go. So, <laughs> so, what do you think? Because uh, that's kind of you know after we talked about spaghetti incident. Yeah. And then that that's the point where everything kind of started you know where they all started going their own ways, and you you know there was all the rumors for you know of Axel still going to do this album, and you know, everybody knows that story, but. That's around the time when we started getting all this other stuff, which was really cool. Like we got the the Duff solo album, the Gilby solo album, the first Snake Pit slash the Snake Pit album. We got uh, Neurotic Outsiders, like around 96 or so. And Izzy Stradlin's first album. The Juju so, Hounds. Yeah, the Juju Hounds. Is there any of those that jump out as thinking this is this is amazing? Or were they all just kind of... We, I think everybody liked Snake Pit. Yeah. It was really kind of trying to be like, this is going to be the new Guns N' Roses feel because it actually sounded yeah, a lot like it. Yeah, it just like sounded it. like a, so, what you thought GNR would sound like. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So you were just like, this is going to be it because Guns N' Roses is kind of, we don't know what's up, but this is going to be it. And yeah. <laughs> right. I, I really liked the Gilby Clark's album. Yeah. That was a great record. Mm-hmm. And I remember we would see him at Kane's Ballroom. Right. And that, right up in your face. That exactly. That was great. That was really cool. That's uh, still a good, I listened to that not yeah. a few months ago, and that still holds up. Yeah, it holds up big time. And I liked Slash of Snake Pit. You know, uh, the first album was cool. His, the second album with the Rod Jackson scene, well, I thought was amazing. I listened the shit out of that record. So that for me, that's that's the thing. That was a great one. And then, you know, all, all of the stuff. Miles Kennedy is amazing. I mean, I, you know, right. Where <laughs> where where do you begin? I mean, it's insane. Well, I bought everything back then. Like I had Izzy Stradlin's. I liked it, but it's just one of those. 
you have to be in a mood for that thing because that but was kind of your... bought it because that was right. your favorite band. And, right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I get that totally. And, you know, of course, like you said, Gilby and then, you know, that, that Duff Solo album, I liked it too. I haven't listened to it in years. So I, you know, I can't even remember anything, but believe in me off the top of my head. But the Neurotic Outsiders for me was probably my favorite album from beginning to end of any of those side projects besides probably Gilby's. I'm not talking about not including Slash's recent stuff, but of the stuff that came out in the mid nineties, mm-hmm. that neurotic outsiders thing with Duff and Matt Sorm and, uh, Steve Jones and, That's uh, right. what's his name? The bass player from Duran Duran. John, uh, yeah. Blake. John Taylor. Yeah. Andy John Taylor. Taylor. Cause Duff was playing, Duff was playing guitar along with, uh, yeah. Steve Jones and then they traded vocals. Yeah. But anyway, do you have any, Anything I, on any of those, or you just kind of like Snake Pit and Snake Pit, Gil, the the Gilby Clark solo album. I actually saw him um, in Las Vegas before I moved back because he was doing a promotional tour for the TV show he was on. Where the, I don't remember the name of the band they were trying. They were looking for the lead singer, uh, Rockstar Supernova, Rockstar Supernova, and it was, was him with the Jason Newstead and Tommy Lee. Yeah, and then and the guy Butch they, Walker was consulting. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yes, and the, it was him at some outdoor festival with the guy that won it, so everybody flocked to the whoever the guy was that won it, yeah. and Gilby was just kind of sitting there, and I was like, hi, and just kind of talked to him for a little bit. Nothing oh, memorable. Cool. Yeah. But, yeah. I saw him a few years ago in Oklahoma City at that Rock in America deal. He was on the side stage, and I got to play like six songs, but... Still sounded kick-ass. So the band plugged in? Yeah. Okay. So he just played, like, you know, of course, three three or four songs from that first album, and then, like, Wasn't Yesterday Great, and probably, I think, like, a Wild Horses or something. <laughs> right on. <laughs> so what th- would you guys think of Velvet Revolver? When I, I was annoyed when it came out, just because, you know, I liked STP early on, and I didn't like the later stuff when his voice got whiny. Yeah. And I so I was really sad that... They didn't get, you know, Thornley from Big Wreck like they had talked about or Sebastian Bach or any of those guys that I really liked. But when that album came out, I really liked it. And then when the second one came out, I really hated it. I don't know how much different it was, but I thought the second album was horrible. I haven't listened to it since back then. Maybe it's okay. (laughs) Um, I listened to it once. Yeah, that's pretty much how it was. And the first one even had some good songs on it, but it never really... Yeah, it didn't uh, it grab was just me. Like, eh, you yeah. know, I see what they're doing, and it's just not because we all know what we want. Mm-hmm. You know, right. so it, it's just it was like it just wasn't enough. I I think I think maybe that was everybody's. I don't. I think a lot of people might have had that same point of view. I don't know. I I listened to it once and was going to rip it and add to my iTunes account, and I just didn't. I just gave it back. I said that's all right. That's that. That was kind of my feelings on the second one. The first one, it was all right. It just felt like they were trying to be like, okay, this is going to sound like Guns N' Roses and not be anything different, and it didn't sound like Guns N' Roses. It just kind of fell short and flat on its face. So it was, I don't really know where to put even the first album at. Right. In my opinion, naturally. I thought Slash's solo on Slither was was great. That's about my biggest compliment for the whole <laughs> the whole band. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think I think any of his uh, any of the albums Slash did with Miles Kennedy is way better than any Velvet Revolver song ever. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, even that first Slash album, the the solo album with that Miles was on the two songs. Oh, with all the different yeah. singers. And then, that was such a great album. Yeah, the even song, the songs with like Fergie and the people you don't like. Yeah, that song with Fergie was fucking. That was a face melter. Right. You know, and she's from the. Fucking black eyed peas. What's wrong with that? <laughs> but yeah, the the stuff since where it's been Miles and the the conspirators, like those two albums, or hold it at three now. No two. Yeah. Um those are great from beginning to oh, end. Yeah. Every song even that last one that came out had like something crazy like fifteen or sixteen songs on it. And they were all but awesome. Well, there's there no wasn't filler, filler on it like thing. you figure there would be with that many songs. But Miles Kennedy you know, I mean, he he filled in with. Did you watch the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame deal? I missed it. No, yeah. I have not seen it. I didn't watch it either, so I guess we can't really comment on it. I just, you know, have a a version of the Rock and Roll of Fame, so I didn't even watch it when it was Guns and Roses. So that tells you <laughs> what I think about that. So whenever 
Chinese Democracy came out. Did you get it? Of course. Right? I know you didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> I maybe heard one song off of it. I don't give a shit. Right? I'll just be straight up. <laughs> Y'all talk about that one. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if you remember this, but wasn't it me and you that went and saw Zach Wilde on the solo tour? And I actually, and it was at the time he was rumored to be in Guns N' Roses or right. working on on Chinese Democracy. And this was in 96 six something, somewhere yeah. in there. And I just remember him saying there's a lot of good parts to songs, but there's not really songs. So it's just, that's that was his opinion on it when I asked where it was at. When he had even said that, and you can't have too many, whatever, too many cooks in the kitchen type thing. Exactly. You know, and he said he didn't really think it would work with him and the band kind of thing, because I uh-huh. think he's one of those people that wants to be in control sure. if he's not working. <clears throat> Excuse me, if he's not working with Ozzy. You know. Exactly, and I think Axel, I think he likes control a little bit. So <laughs> I think? Just a tad. And But even after listening to that album, it's kind of the same thing. It's like there's some songs I can see where there's some really good parts. I can like, okay, I can see this. And some, some even in the same songs, you're like, I don't know where we're going with this. And it just doesn't, yeah. a lot of it just doesn't work. Some of it does. But for the most part, it's just kind of. Well, for me, the album is exactly like Load to bring in your favorite band. There's not sound wise or anything I'm talking about the fact that there's like half the songs that I never want to hear again in my life yeah and then there's half the songs that I freaking love and on that album like uh, there was a time sounds like just like songs on Use Your Illusion and that's like probably my top 10 Guns N' Roses songs of all time and and there's several other songs on there like you know the title track and Street of Dreams and Catcher in the Rye that are that I think are great but then there's also several of those songs that, like I said, I don't ever want to hear again. Exactly. <laughs> um, I, I just, I mean, what was the time frame between Chinese it, Democracy and, let's say, Usual Illusion? Because, I mean, there's not there's not a lot of songwriting in a cover album, in my opinion. Just there isn't. Right. So, well, Usual Illusion was 91. And then, and then I think Chinese Democracy came out in 2009 or, or the 8, 2008. So that's a long time. Yeah. Uh, my my expectations are going to want something that's going to be at least cohesive. If you can, right. if you can go from appetite for destruction and put out use your illusion, then you dump everybody in your band. Right. You better be able to follow up or at least come close to the mark. And if you don't, you fail. Right. And that's why which Chinese, is nearly impossible. It is no nearly matter what impossible. the situation is. Yeah. But if you keep that band together, there's no telling what that album first of all would have been, or even what the music and what what the direction of the music would have been. Right. For the 90s or thereafter, in my opinion. So I think a lot was lost just by Axel being Axel. Not just right. the loss of Chinese democracy, but the direction of that, of even the music scene at that point. I think, yeah, because I think that was the big, you know, rumors that the reason everybody started leaving or getting fired was because they didn't want to, they didn't like the, you know, Axel was really into the whole adding the, samples and industrial elements sure. and everything like he tried on my world mm-hmm. and then again on the what was that song that was on end of days like it had those electronic elements in it yes but it still had guitars and it still was heavy but you know of course slash just wants to be a rock and roll guitarist he doesn't want to have you know electronic shit going on mm-hmm. <laughs> and i think you know of course duff and matt Sorum were kind of in that same boat and i don't know and i i guess that you know, you could see, you know, trying that, but I also think that, you know, Axel just obviously missed the mark knowing, you know, we're in, at this point, the biggest band in the world, and we could have became probably the biggest band ever in rock and roll besides, like, the Beatles or the Stones or something. Sure. If they had just said, hey, you know, let me do a couple songs like this. Uh-huh. And then the rest are going to be what you expect. Or do a side project where you yeah, get exactly. a solo album or whatever. Yeah. So live, what did you think of the new, the oh, new I, lineup and the new the way it is now? I love it, but I'm I'm I go into it knowing what it is. I don't yeah. you know like I read all these things and all these people crying and bitching like you know, you know fuck it without Slash and whatever, and it's like yeah I understand that Slash is my favorite guitarist, but he's not been in the band now for twenty. Going on 20 years. Yeah, because yeah. it was 95. So 20 years. So it's like, I'm not going there expecting it to sound like... I mean, and the guys he's got in the band are are great. Every guy that's up there is great. And sure, it's not that original 
five guys or the illusion, you know, the six guys in, on the illusion, excuse me, the illusion lineup. Um, but it's still, they still put on a performance, put on a show, and he sounds good for the most part. I mean, there's stuff that doesn't sound as great, but he sounds, he sounds good enough to pull it off. And I've seen him twice since then. I know you saw one of them and you didn't like it. No, I left. But you left? Yeah. Yeah, it was at Rocklahoma. And first of all, he was late. And after all these he years. Was no. He was he 10 was minutes late. He was 10 minutes late. He was fucking like 30 or 45 minutes late. Well, fuck him. They went on 10 minutes late. It pa- it's past everybody's bedtime, though, especially at his age. <laughs> right. and, and, and I don't care if it's 10 minutes late. He shouldn't, shouldn't be that fucking late. Every show you go to anymore, bands start 10 minutes late. Maybe not at Rocklahoma, but I mean at. I can give him ten minutes. <laughs> right. but... Well, anyways, I just I didn't I didn't uh, didn't like it. I don't think he sounded good. I thought uh, I hate I fucking hate Bush. They went on before and well, they, I, I can they, see where that would put you they, in a bad mood. They wiped up they wiped up the stage with Guns N' Roses. They killed Guns N' Roses. Ouch! I'll say it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. They put on a fucking show that Axl Rose couldn't even touch. And I fucking hate that band. So wow. there you go. There you go. <laughs> send all the hate. Send all the hate mail to tshanehalls at gmail.com. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Bush over Guns N' Roses 2.0. Here's something. Here's something I want to ask you guys. Okay. Uh, I think this is one of our last topics. I don't know, but we can talk on this for sure. Do you think. There will ever be a reunion, and should it be Steven Adler or Matt Sorum behind the kit? Thrasher, go. I don't think there will be a reunion, and the only reason being is because Axel doesn't either need to do it, and that's ultimately what it's going to come down to. It seems like Axel is very content doing what he's doing. He owns the Guns N' Roses brand at this point, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, doesn't he, he does. own everything inside and out. Well, they still, yeah, he owns, like, the name and everything, but they, they still have publishing and stuff, like Slash and Duff. But as far as going on tour, you can't go on tours, right. Guns N' Roses, you can't. Yeah, he owns the name and all that. So, the corporation, I, whatever you call it. I mean, you have to look at the, where's the incentive at? I mean, it's it's like the police, when they were like, do you think the police will ever get back? No, Sting's selling albums. Once Sting quits selling albums, you know what? There's police tours again. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Axel doesn't even need to go that far. As long as he can play a couple concerts, you know, in South America, sell them out and go home, I just don't see him doing it. I just don't. I, I think I've, there's never been a point where I've not thought that they're gonna do it. Does that make sense? Like I've always thought that it's gonna happen. Well, it's because they all and do it, no matter because, what. Throughout anything, they all do it yeah. eventually. And I mean, I've always thought that same thing. I'm like, Axel. You know, with the Guns N' Roses band that he has now, can go out and sure the American shows might be a little smaller, but he still has eight, ten thousand people there, which is still you know phenomenal for a band these days. And then he goes anywhere in Europe, and he's filling thirty, forty thousand people outdoors, you know. And so he doesn't he doesn't need it, but at the same time, if he got Slash and Duff and his band, then he could be playing football stadiums in America. And sell them out in a day. Oh yeah, if they had a reunion, I mean, it would. And I think that at the end of the day is like a Rolling little stones, Arrowhead Stadium. Everybody wants it, to. Yeah, it would. You know. Yeah. Huge. Everybody doesn't. People don't want to pass that up. Obviously, I think that there's a good possibility it'll never happen, but I still think that it. You know, I still think it will. Okay, so like I said earlier, which drummer or both? For a long time, I always thought it should be Matt Sorum. Yeah. But. Lately, I'm starting to, I mean, if it's possible, kind of like you always dream with some of these bands, like Van Halen or Anthrax or something, they should just go out and have both guys play songs. Yeah. It just makes sense. You know, but I mean, and uh, was it on the Eddie Trunk podcast or Jericho or something where Stephen Adler was talking about that? They asked him, do you think if there is a Guns N' Roses reunion that they'll have you out there or are they going to have Matt Sorum? And he said, well... He's talked to Matt Sorum personally, and Matt Sorum told him that I want you to be there. And, you know, I'd like to be there too, but if there's a reunion, they should do it right. And so he's he's on board with it, as long as Adler's good, and I guess he's 
supposedly clean now. You know? Yeah, and you could <laughs> say the same, Gilby or Izzy. I mean, Izzy definitely. Well, it's, it's got to be as if he's willing to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's always, you know, I mean, he's played a lot of shows over the last few years. And, With uh, him, yeah. And like Europe and stuff, he'll come out there and play two or three songs. So he's obviously willing to go out and do it. Yeah. But he's never got on stage and done a full show uh, yet. Duff did a couple shows with him, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, basically everybody except him and Slash have, you know, done something in recent memory in the last few years. Have, yeah. You know, at least talked or got on stage. So, I mean, that's the only, obviously the only holdout as far as something like that happening. That's a big holdout. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously they're not going to say here's a reunion and Slash isn't there, you know. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be a reunion. Nope. Right. So that do you like, want it? Do you want it to happen as a fan? Of course, I right. I, I would like for if it, it to happen. You'd go see it. I, I'm not gonna lie. I'm, I'd go see it in a heartbeat. But to be realistic, it's been so many years, and it's not like they aren't. You know, the money hasn't been there to begin with. It's not like they they're all selling albums like they did during Use Your Illusion One and Two. I mean, they, it's been on the table. This has been available. For decade, there's at least decade and a half, two decades. Yeah. What What all of a sudden is going to make him to do it now? Because they're older. True. I mean, it's just I just don't think it's going to happen. And it's just you know, I'm not being pessimistic. Just logic Dick says it's probably not, which probably means it will. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it does happen, we'll be in Dallas or Kansas City or whatever. Uh, definitely. Wherever's closest. Yep. Well, is there anything else you want to? Want to throw in it all? I think we're good. I think we're good. Yeah, Thrasher, thanks for being here. I'm yeah. glad to be here. It's great. We will do it again. Sure. We'll have to have you in on a maybe a Faith No More or a Clutch one or something else that you. We could do a Nine Inch Nails one, but I know this guy over here would be bored and never say anything for an hour. That's all right. Just uh, throw me a few beers. He could, he could just talk beer. shit. That would be okay. Yeah. That makes it more you know interesting, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, then, then I'll do it. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, thanks. Thank <laughs> you.